It's been a good morning so far, hasn't it? What a blessing to worship with you. And um, to praise the Lord Jesus. We're studying the book of 1 John and we're interpreting from the, the book itself that the, this group of early believers, this group of churches, had some of its best and brightest uh, people, most gifted people, leave them and stray from the truth, fall away from the truth of the gospel. They espoused certain teachings and certain points of view that were no longer orthodox. And we've been studying that what John does is when he writes this letter to them, they're, they're in crisis, they're, they're confused, they wonder whether they're in or they're out. Are these previous participants in their community leading them astray? Are they right? Am I right? How do I know where I fit? How do I know whether I'm in or not? How do I know whether I, I'm missing out on something? And so John writes to assure them of the truth. And so the book of 1 John is layer after layer of assurance. And, and I just encourage you to read through it each, through the entire book in its entirety each week as we study this together to just see how many ways John provides the assurance that we're in the truth. And so last week we talked about one of the characteristics of this group was that they implied that they had a special insight, a special anointing, some, some way that they knew something that we couldn't know. And so they were claiming a different or another source of authority. And they were, uh, we thought about how many times that happens in our world today. Some people will come and say, you're not being legalistic enough. Or somebody will say, you're being too legalistic. Or somebody will say, you're missing out on an experience. Or someone will say you're not liturgical enough, your services are too boring or too exciting or whatever. And so we, we wonder, where's the authority? How do we figure it out? And so last week we tried to realize that the authority has been given to us already. It's in the text. It's in the witness of the apostles. It's in the Bible. And the way that we know whether we're in or out is from that authority. And specifically now, <clears throat> this week we're going to start on several of the specific topics or the specific deviances that this group had so that we can see how we can tell whether we're in or out. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so the first one is the person of Jesus. What does 1 John remind us of about the, the person of Jesus? If we have these truths, if we affirm the things that we are finding today in 1 John, if we believe these things to be true then we're okay, right? We're being assured our doctrine is ultimately right. But if we differ on the person of Jesus, then that's a very strong indication that we have fallen away and into error. And so we need to make sure that we follow after what the Bible teaches about Jesus, okay? So I have a, basically a simple outline, the Son of God with four points, and then the Son of Man with four points that I think we can find. Um, I think in the study notes there's an A, B, C, D in your notes, but I think I have just dots on my outline, so you'll be able to follow through with that. So let's get started. Um, first of all, just a reminder, if you would like to text me during the message and ask a question, you may do so. Um, some of the questions might get answered through the rest of the message. That's fine. You don't have to. Don't feel pressure. But if we have a little bit of time at the end, I'll try to answer any questions that you might text me at that number. And so again, the first thing is the Son of God. We're going to focus on the fact that Jesus is 
God the Son. He's the Son of God. So from 1 John, we see first of all in verse 1, that which was from the beginning. Now you need to understand that John is the author of the Gospel of John. And he is on purpose in the beginning of his book using the same kind of terminology that he uses in the Gospel of John. And so when he says that is from the beginning, it's sort of like a big footnote to us to remember. Remember the Gospel that I wrote earlier? The Gospel of John. So I have some text from there. i got a little bit different colors so we can differentiate John's text from 1 John's text. But if you go all the way back to John, the Gospel of John, it starts with, in the beginning, just like 1 John does. And he says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All right? Some people who want to distort the Scriptures would say, no, 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 this says, and the Word was a God, like a lowercase g. But no, the text is real clear, that's, that's a distortion of Greek. The language is clear, and John is trying to say it as many ways as he can. And the Word was God. So Jesus is God. He was with God in the beginning. So he is the Son of God, and he is God, and he was with God. God was a triune person, always was. Back to 1 John. He says, if anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them, and they in God. So if you believe in your heart, and you acknowledge today that Jesus is God's uniquely uh, qualified, he's the person of the second person of the Trinity. He's God. If you acknowledge Jesus as the Son of God, you're in. But if you differ on that, you're out. It's that simple. You can't have it in and out. It's one or the other. If Jesus is not God, if he's not uniquely, he's not just a prophet. He's not just a good teacher. He's not just a great example. He's God. And if he is not God, if you won't admit that in your heart, you're not in. You have to acknowledge that Jesus is the Son of God. Look at this one here at the end of the book, 1 John chapter 5. Um, he is the true God and eternal life. Jesus, John is not dicing words. He's not confused at all. He's very clear that Jesus is God. So I think one of the things we need to understand about the Son of God is that he's eternal. You see, he's, he did not have a beginning. Jesus did not start when he became a baby. Jesus was eternal. The person of Jesus, God, Jesus as God, has always, always been. There is no cause prior to him. He is self-existent. There is nothing that made Jesus be. He already was. He has always been. He always has been. It's eternal. He is uh, he's a self-existent, eternal being. No beginning. By definition. Okay. More text. John chapter 1 verse 3 again. Through him all things were made. So this is the gospel, right? So we need to understand that Jesus was the creator. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. Just like John says, he says it one way and turns it inside out and says the same thing in another way. There's nothing that has been made ever, anywhere, that wasn't made by Jesus. Jesus himself was not made. He self-exists. But everything that we know in the universe, sound and matter and time and space and planets and worms, they're all created by him, through him. All right, so Jesus is the creator. 
So he's a self-existent being that has been forever and ever, and he is the creator. He's the one who spoke, let there be light, is through God's word, and Jesus is the word of God that God created. Jesus is the creator, he's the agent of creating, and everything came from him. He is the creator. He caused everything that we see. Every effect that has ever been has been caused by the uncaused cause, right? Jesus has not been caused. He self-exists, and he caused everything else to be. Out of the power of his word. It's incomprehensible, isn't it? But the God is so powerful that he can will to have it be. And this is it. We are it. And we exist by his will and word. Just as an aside here. He gets to be in charge. Right? If, you get to, if you're the one who created, you get to be in charge. You get to say what's right and wrong and define who you, you get to be in charge. Jesus is in charge. Amen? So he's the son of God, the creator. What else does 1 John say? He says, but if anybody does sin, so he's talking about that text, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. But we have an anointing from the Holy One. And all of you know the truth. Another phrase from 1 John. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins, and in him is no sin. What's he talking? What's he telling us about Jesus? Jesus is holy. Jesus is without any kind of moral defect. He never, ever, ever failed to obey the prescriptive law of God, the commands of God, all of God's will, Jesus fully obeyed. And Jesus fully obeyed in his submission to God by dying on the cross. Jesus is holy. He is holy, holy, holy. God is perfect, without defect, without blemish, of another kind entirely. And Jesus participates in that fully. He is the Holy One. Peter in his sermon in the book of Acts says to the people of Israel when they were cut to the heart, he says, you, cre- you killed the Holy One. But God has raised him from the dead. So Jesus is holy without moral defect. There's never a flaw in him. He obeyed the Father perfectly. And then the last point I want to figure out here is First John again 1-2. The life appeared. We have seen and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. And then back to the Gospel of John, uh, John says, in him was life, and that life was the light of all people. So there's something about Jesus as a person that John wants us to understand that there is life in him. There is something about him that he's life. Um, 1 John again, and this is what he promised us, eternal life. So Jesus promises us, if we believe in him, that there's eternal life. So there's this, this life word again. Look at this one in chapter 5. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. So Jesus is the life. He is is the one who, as the creator, 
as the eternal one, as the Holy One, he participates, he, ha, he, he is life. And when he comes to the world and creates life, it's not higher than him, it's from him, right? And God breathes into the Adam and Eve, the forms, and they become living creatures. And then when we sin, we fall into sin, we die. And death begins, and death is separation. Death is separating our spirit from our body. Death is separating ourselves from God. Death is always a separation. And Jesus comes and says, I give you eternal life. I give you eternal non-separation. I bring you back and we participate. We have life in ourselves from Jesus. We, when he is raised from the dead, his eternal life manifests itself over death. His spirit was separated from his body for a time and then he brought it back because he is the life. And he raised himself from the dead. And he raises those who belong to him from the dead. And when Jesus gives you eternal life, you're going to live forever. Amen? I already have eternal life in me by God's Spirit, by the promise. I'm going to die in my body if Jesus doesn't come back. My, my spirit's going to separate from my body for a little while, but I'm never going to die. And I'm going to participate in life. And as soon as I leave this body, I'll be present with the Lord. And then he's going to come back and give me a new body and I'll live forever and ever. And I'll never be separated from God. I have eternal life. But if I would reject, if I had not been saved, if I would have remained in my rejection, if I would have stayed in my sin and not repented and not accepted Jesus by faith, then I would only face eternal death, eternal separation. And so Jesus is the life. Aren't those amazing things about Jesus? Wow. Eternal, creator, holy, and he's alive. He's, he, he's life itself. And he comes to give us life abundantly. We could quit right there. But you know, this is not such a mysterious thing. We understand these attributes of God. But when we start talking about the Son of Man, that's a little bit different. You see, actually, the Bible says the mystery of godliness is great. Paul says in uh, Titus, I think, or Timothy, the, mis the mystery of godliness is great. It's, there's a mystery here that God is with us. He's, he appeared in a body. This is one of the greatest, if not the greatest, mysteries of all the whole Bible. That God, the eternal one, became also a temporal one. He entered into the created realm. The creator who caused all things and caused it to be, somehow by his miraculous power and will, himself becomes a caused agent. You see, Jesus doesn't have a beginning as God, but Jesus the man has a beginning. There was a time when the Spirit of God overshadowed the body of Mary and, and God took the pre-existing materials. I'm talking about materials, right? Biological content of Mary's body. He took the pre-existing materials and he caused it to be the person of Jesus and caused the, the um, fertilization of that egg and the formation of that baby in the womb. And it was God's son, not by any human contact, not by any sexual activity. It was God, he created the new creation in Jesus. And so Jesus the man becomes, a, he starts to be. 
even though he always was. It's really kind of confusing. It's an incredible mystery. We could say it's like two persons is one person. He's two persons and he's one person. But as soon as I say that, I just contradicted myself. You can't be two persons and one person because that's a contradiction. You can't be two persons and one person at the same time. You can't do that. That's a contradiction. So what is Jesus? He's one person. One person with two natures, right? The Bible says in Philippians, um, he, he being in very nature God, Jesus being in very nature God, did not consider equality with the Father something to be grasped. He, did not, he was not unwilling to give up some things. And so he did not hang on to his perfect uh, eternal state with God in such a way that he would not. So he emptied himself and took on the form of the human being. He became in nature a human being. And so Jesus manifests in one person two natures. The nature of the uncreated, perfect, holy God and the nature of a created, caused human being. Again, without sin and holy. There's been many distortions of this wonderful mystery and, and we'll never fathom all of its depths, but the church over time has dealt with those who say, well, it was mostly God, but maybe pretended to be a man or was a, he was a human being that just had God indwell him for a little while. But he was, and there's lots of different kinds of heresies that have come. But the truth is, and this is what First John is teaching, the truth is, is that he's 100% both God and man at the same exact time. One person, two natures. And what the early church has done to formulate this is it's so hard to describe what happens that we're going to use four words to say what it's not. And so these two natures combine in the one person of Jesus without change. The divine nature doesn't change. He doesn't become unholy to become a man. He doesn't become uneternal to become a man. But neither does the human nature become unlimited because he's part of God. So neither nature is changed. And they're not mixed. He's not partly one and partly... He's both, totally. And there's no confusion. There's not any distortion. And there's no... Um, what's the difference, I think? So the, the natures don't change. So there's four words. No mixture, no change, no confusion, no distortion or change. I maybe said the same one. I can't remember one of them. I probably said it right. Now I'm nervous. You don't need to be. Okay? Look it up. It's the... Uh, it's a, it's a great confession of church in 400s. So anyway, it's a complex thing, but what we mostly can say is what it's not. It's a danger to say, uh, he's not really come in the flesh. It's a danger to say he's not really God. He is both and 100%. And it's a wonderful thing. And it is the thing. And it is why Jesus gets all the glory. It's why he's the creator. He, he's the one who, this is what it's all about. He is what it's all about. And if we're not going to make him central, we're already falling away. He is the person who brings everything together. And God participates in our realm and understands. That's a wonderful thing. So I want to talk about a little bit more what he says specifically about Jesus being the Son of Man. In chapter 1, again, we say, uh, John is saying, which we have, we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we've looked at and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. So you need to remember that Jesus really came physically. He was touchable. He smelled. He, he had sounds come out of his vocal cords. He was a real human being. Uh, look at this one, chapter 2. Who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Messiah. 
Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. If you deny that Jesus is the one sent from God, the anointed sent one, the one who is the seed who is going to crush the serpent's head that was promised way back in Genesis and all the way through, and the Messiah will come. If you deny that Jesus is the Messiah, you've denied the Father. This is why our dear Jewish friends, if they still hold out, they still can believe in Moses, they can trust the Ten Commandments, they know all about God, Yahweh, and us. But when they reject Jesus, when they refuse to accept Jesus as the Messiah, they miss out. You have to have Jesus as your Messiah. He is the only one. And so that's important. Look at this one. He says, this is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from the God. But if you would say that Jesus did not come in the flesh, if you would say that God just sort of appeared as a ghost, or if he just inhabited a person, if you do not say that Jesus came in the flesh, you're not from God. You have to affirm that Jesus is a human being, that he came from God and he came in the flesh. That's the great mystery. I don't know how to make it work in my head. I just know I have to believe what God says about it. And so it's a mystery to us. Not a contradiction, but a mystery. Look at the chapter 5. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Messiah is born of God. Do you believe Jesus is the one? You're in. And so he came in time and space. God was eternal. God is eternal. Jesus is eternal. But Jesus, the person that we have today, we know today, is in time and space. Jesus waits that something? He's waiting. He said, practice this meal until I come back. He's waiting for the time when he can have it with us again. He's looking forward to it. The Bible says that he was able to endure his suffering on the cross because he looked forward to one who was going to redeem him. When he faced the cross, it was just like you and I, he was moving through time and his hour came and he realized what it was like to wait and to dread. And then it started and it happened. And then it was finished. He's moving in time. Jesus participated. He knows what it's like to wait. And he's with us in that realm. So Jesus is in time and space. Look at this in chapter 1 again. In the beginning was the Word, he's called. This is from the Gospel of John, right? And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. So he's called the Word. And then 1 John picks it up again. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the Word of life. Jesus is God's Word. Look at chapter 5 of 1 John. We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding. Jesus came to make it so we could understand God. Remember at the Last Supper, Philip says, show us the Father, and then we'll understand. And Jesus says, have I been with you so long that you don't know? If you've seen me, what, class? You've seen the Father. I'm, I'm the one to show you what God is like. I'm the revelation, so that we may know him. He has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, being in his son Jesus Christ. He is the true God in eternal life. And so Jesus is the word of God. And we're going to pick up on a cool theme here from the Old Testament. The Messiah who is to come is a prophet and a priest and a king. And so you're getting the next two points in advance if you listen careful, right? 
But the first one we're getting here is he's the word of God. He's the prophet. He's like the like Moses prophet. Moses predicted that someone would come, a prophet like me, and he's going to tell you these things. And Jesus comes and he says, everything I say is from the Father. Can you imagine what a thrill it would be to have lived with Jesus all that time? Everything he said was always 100% true about everything. He never hedged it. He never had to say, I think that we might. He knew the truth, and he was the truth. He could even say, without lying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the way. And Jesus tells us about God, and tells us, and he tells us that the Bible is fully reliable. Not one little mark will disappear. And so we can trust his book, because it's his word that authenticates it. And so we know who Jesus is. So he's the word of God. Amen? Uh, we should almost change a yeehaw. <laughs> yeehaw, right? This is good news. All right. Now let's look at the next one. Prophet, priest now, right? Look at what First John tells us about Jesus. Again, the person of Jesus. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. What are we learning about Jesus now? Jesus is the one whose blood takes away sin. He's the Passover lamb, but not the lamb. He's the lamb of God. He's the one. Wow, look at this one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Not only for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. So Jesus is the one on the Day of Atonement that people would practice this ritual every year and the priest would go in and offer sacrifice for his sins and for the sins of the people and everybody would have all their sins forgiven that day. And then the next day they'd kick their dog again and they had to wait all the way to next year to, find, to get atonement. But Jesus is a one-time atonement for our sins and he atones for our sins, all the sins of the whole world that God has left unpunished. And Jesus is the one. He atones. Look at this, he says, I'm writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. It's through Jesus, through his atoning blood, that we can be forgiven of our sins. Chapter 3, but you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins, and in him is no sin. Chapter 3 again, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. He's the priest who... who pays the penalty. He goes into the holy place and he doesn't offer the blood of a goat or a bull. For a, He offers his own blood, Hebrews tells us, once and for all to wash away and take away sins. This is love, verse chapter 4. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Do you think that's a big deal? Why does John keep saying it so much? Because it's a really big deal. Jesus is the one who lived a perfect life and comes and offers himself on the cross in order to pay a debt, to atone, to endure the wrath of God, to, to make it possible for our sins to be forgiven. Chapter 4 again, And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. This is the one who came by water and the blood. He wasn't just baptized. He came by water and blood. He offered his blood. Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and by. He didn't come just as a man. He came as God, but he didn't come just as God. He came as a man and offered his blood on the cross. And so he is the one who atones. Jesus is the one who enters time and space. 
He waits for his hour to be fulfilled. He tells us who God is. He's the Word of God. And he's the one who offers himself as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. He pays the price. So he's the prophet, he's the priest. And now the king. Chapter 3. Dear friends, we are children of God. Now we are children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known. We're going to be even more than that. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And so this is exciting that Jesus is going to come back and he's going to rule and reign. But look at the implication when we see him as he is. He says, all who have this hope in him, all who have this hope in him, purify themselves just as he is pure. If you know that Jesus is coming back, you know that the king is returning with all of his power and glory, what is the impact on your daily life? You purify yourself because you're going to answer to him. You don't want to be caught fooling around when Jesus comes. Chapter 3, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Oh, Jesus is going to come and destroy Satan. He's going to crush the serpent's head, right? He's the seed of the woman who's going to come. Chapter 4, this is how we love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. What day of judgment? That day of judgment. Who's the judge? Jesus. In this world, we are like Jesus. So Jesus is the one who will judge. He's coming back as the king. Paul picks up on this especially and said, he is the one who's going to judge the world as my gospel declares. Part of what makes Jesus such a perfect judge is that he's holy and he's eternal and in his divine nature he knows everything. He knows everything that could happen and in his human nature he understands what it's like to suffer. He understands what it's like to go through time and so he is a perfect high priest and he is qualified then to judge us. You can never say, oh, he doesn't know what it's like to suffer. You don't know how hard it is. My wife is a real pain in the neck. <laughs> Jesus knows what it's like to be misunderstood and mistreated. There is no excuse. And God knows everything. Jesus knows everything. So, he's perfect judge. Amen? All right. Well, I think that's pretty exciting. And I can't wait to learn more about Jesus. You guys have any text messages? Got a few here. Chalcedon, thank you, Steve. In two natures, without mixture, change, division, or separation. I think separation was the word I was missing. So thank you for the, for the uh, man, what is that? Like super help on the fly. Good job. So the Chalcedon Creed, uh, in two natures, without mixture, without change, neither nature changes, without division or separation. So they are not separated either. It's an amazing thing. Things we can make sure we know. Okay. Here's a good text. Yeehaw! So I think that was an amen text, right? Um, here's a request. Please elaborate on chapter 5, verse 16, 17. What is the difference between sin that leads to death and sin that does not lead to death? Doesn't all sin lead to death? Oh, man, you got... Our, I don't know who this is. I don't have this in contact. But that's a great segue to the next message, which is uh, three weeks away. So you come back, and we're going to learn about the, the, one of the teachings of this group was, what about sin? One of their problems was is they kind of varied with the apostles on what the definition of sin was. And what sin is is a pretty, can you be without it? Can you not be? So we need to understand what sin is. So good segue. Good job. And then one more from, again, somebody I don't know yet. 
In Christ's human nature, did Jesus know he was the Messiah as a baby? That's a good question. When did Jesus figure out who he was? Right? Did he lay there in the, in the hay and, and how's, the, how's the song go? No crying he makes. You know, did he really never cry? Eh, I don't know. He never sinned. So some babies lie when they're crying. They're lying. They're saying, I'm dying here and you're not helping me. You know, I don't think Jesus lied like that. But I do think he probably cried. How did Mary is a new mother? How did she know what to do if he didn't give her some news? You know, I don't know. I don't know. We, it's a mystery, isn't it? He would never send. I, I heard one preacher say one thing. Can you imagine the day when little boy Jesus is, and this is speculation, obviously, right? But can you imagine what it would have been like when little boy Jesus was reading his Bible or his Torah, whatever, he listened to the Torahs, and he went to his mind and said, was there anything unusual about my birth? How did that subject ever get talked about the first time, right? But the Bible says he grew in wisdom and in stature, in favor with man and with God. And his own brothers didn't know who he was. So he was not, uh, it was not obvious. He lived like we did. He learned his ABCs. And I don't know if he ever made a mistake in his ABCs. Is that a sin? I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us much, partly because we get all mixed up on this kind of stuff. So the answer I'm going to say is, I don't know. Ask Jesus when you see him. When did he know who he was? And yet the Spirit, the Bible tells us clearly he was given the Spirit without limit from the very beginning. Much of what Jesus... You see, it's so exciting because Jesus lived as a human being, totally as a human being, with unlimited help from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came down on him at the baptism, in a special way, and then he learned, or I shouldn't say learned, the Holy Spirit demonstrated that he knows how to help a human being live the right way. And Jesus followed and obeyed the Holy Spirit. And when Jesus gives us the Holy Spirit, guess who that is? That's Jesus' Spirit who knows how to help a human being live the right way. What a blessing we have to be in that same Christ. Well, uh, let's close in prayer and then that we can have our music. Father, thank you so much for the truth about Jesus. Thank you that, that he is, that we can worship him truly as God. Jesus, we thank you for that. The, we adore you as God. And we, we adore you and thank you for not holding on to equality with God or something to be grasped. But you emptied yourself and and willingly took on the form of a servant. You, you took on human nature. Even being obedient unto death, you experienced what it's like to have your body separated from your spirit. So we thank you so much. Thank you for the life you give us because you purchased for us salvation, that you died on the cross in our place. If there's anyone here today who has not yet affirmed these truths about you, may your spirit be with them today, may this be the day that they accept you, Jesus, as who you are, the great God and Savior of the world. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, stand with us as we sing Blessed Assurance.